Lord, thank you for the truth of this song, Lord, that so faithful you are. And Lord, how faithless I've been at times and how selfish I've been at times. Lord, how weak I've been at times. And yet the truth of who you are remains. You're steadfast. You're a promise keeper. You're never failing. You're never tired. You're never weak. You're never weary. And so we cling to you even this morning, Lord, that when the cares of life and the the burdens of life seem to weigh us down, Lord, we can find rest. We can find satisfaction. We can find joy in you. And so I pray this morning that that the words that we've sung would just be true in our lives, Lord, that, that we would lift a praise to you anywhere in our lives. God, that we would know that you're a promise keeper. Be the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, and you kept your promises then, and you'll keep your promises now. And Lord, you're such an awesome God. Lord, nothing comes close. It's not even a competition. Lord, you far surpass all of our expectations, all the gods of this world that we so easily entangle ourselves with. And so this morning, Lord, I just pray that we'd find rest in you. And Lord, as we conclude this book, God, that you would speak to us and you would remind us of who you are, of what your expectation is for us, and the hope and the assurance that we can have in you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you and we praise you. It's in your son Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Well, you can have a seat this morning. Thanks, worship team. You'll have to bear with me this morning. I have a little bit of a deeper voice, raspier voice. I'm dealing with some like whatever else is going around, so I appreciate your patience with me this morning. But um, yeah, we're finishing the book of James. So if you have your Bible, I would encourage you to turn there. This is James chapter 5. We'll conclude this letter this morning. And, and let me just remind you of kind of where we've been and, and what we've been discussing. If you have been with us for the last few weeks, then you know that James is writing to believing Jews, and he's writing to believing Jews, and he's really combating this theology that exists in his day and age where Jewish believers were at risk of falling back into a Pharisaical way of thinking, a Pharisaical way of living their life. That the Pharisees at the time believed that if they served God, if they followed the law, then they would be blessed by God financially, with prosperity in their lives. And so that's where we see, we'll we'll see the beginning of chapter five, pick up where chapter four left off last week, that really the end of chapter four, James is saying, hey, it's not a matter of if you're gonna go somewhere and make a profit, but it's a matter of what the Lord would will in your life. And so you don't know what tomorrow holds. What is your life but a vapor in the wind? And so he's gonna condemn the rich beginning in chapter five, because, because again, the, the idea of the Pharisees, and I think this is where we get it confused in our day and age as well, is they, they really sought status in the kingdom over service to the king. Like, does that make sense? Like, like they were chasing status, and, and, they, and they wanted to be, and even the disciples, right? You remember the disciples' question to Jesus, hey, who, who will be greatest in the kingdom? And this is true in our day and age as well as we live our lives that at times we use or will use service as a means to obtain status. 
And so if I, if I serve the Lord, if I do all these things, if I read my Bible and if I'm just a good Christian, if I can check all the boxes, then I'll be more spiritual than the next person, I'll be more favored than the next person, and the Lord will bless me. And that was really the pharisaical way of thinking. And so James is combating this, and he opens chapter 5 this morning with some pretty harsh language for those that place their cares and their concerns in this life. This is James chapter 5, verse 1. James says, come now, you rich, weep and howl. Remember that language from chapter 4, verse 7. He said, submit to God. He said, draw near to God. Purify your hearts. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. So he's continuing this. He says in verse 1, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. He says, your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've, you've heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, they cry out and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You've lived on earth in pleasure and luxury. You've fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You've condemned, you've murdered the just, he does not resist you. And so you see the language of James here at the beginning of chapter 5 reminding us of where our hope and where our security is found. And it's not in the cares and the pleasures of this life because the truth of the matter is, and you've probably experienced this as well, that as Jesus mentioned that moth and rust will eat up and destroy the things of this earth, so James reminds us that that truth still remains true today. And so if you find yourself in a position where your cares and the concern of life is in the things that this life can provide you, and thinking that, and maybe your thought process is, well, I have this because I've served the Lord, and so because I've done all this, now I, I get a chance to partake and engage and enjoy the luxuries of life, and James is going to just caution us this morning and say, hey, be, be careful, because it's really not a matter of, and the matter has never been, if you are wealthy, right, the matter has always been how you obtained your wealth and what you do with your wealth. And so James alludes to this. This is really pulled out of the law in Deuteronomy where, where what they were guilty of at times is the, the, uh, the slaves would come into their field and they would work in their field and the owner of the field would keep back their wages. And so they would go home at night and not be paid. And Deuteronomy strictly prohibits that practice. And James says the same. He says maybe you're wealthy because you've kept back from those that are owed. And so he condemns the rich. The, the truth is, and, and again, maybe you found this to be true in your life, that everything that we own in this life will eventually be owned by someone else, and it will be owned by someone else, and then eventually it will be thrown away. This was true. Any, any Christmas gift that I got, any Christmas gift that I've given, it's what really creates, and, and this is just where my, my own humanity comes in, because it creates a level of cynicism in me that I've had to deal with, because at times I become a terrible gift giver, because I know how people treat gifts. Some people enjoy gifts, and if that's your love language, then that's great, but oftentimes what happens is you give a gift to someone, right, and you've, you've been there, and then you go over to their house six months later, and it's maybe on the mantle, tucked away behind some other things, and you go to their house six months later, and it's nowhere to be found, and then you go to the landfill six months later, and you find the gift that you gave them, and so like, this is the reoccurring theme of life is just that the things that we have, the houses that we own, the cars that we drive, the clothes that we wear, it's all headed to the trash. And that may sound somber this morning, but James is going to remind us of where our perspective 
should be in light of the riches that exists in this life. He uses really stark language here. He says at the end of this section, verse 5, you've lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You've fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You think about an animal, and the fatter an animal gets, the more ready it is for the slaughter. And the same can be true with us, that as you consume the riches of life, oftentimes it becomes a distraction to the things that God ultimately wants to do. And that's the tactic of the enemy. The tactic of the enemy is to distract you and then ultimately destroy you. And so he'll distract you with wealth now, and then it'll destroy you in the end because the judge will come back and it'll be revealed how you stewarded what he had given you. And so James is reminding us of that this morning in the beginning of chapter five. And I think there's two perspectives to chapter five the beginning of chapter five, because you can read this and maybe, maybe this is convicting to you because you would say, man, I, I've really chased after the cares and the luxuries of life, and you find yourself in this text this morning really under the weight of the words of James. Or, or maybe this morning, this isn't you, this is, you're, you're thinking, I'm not wealthy by any means. I have my needs met, but I'm not rich, I'm not wealthy. Well, I think the perspective of the believing Jew that James is writing to really comes out here as well this morning, that the believing Jew would look at those who are profiting and look at, look at all the things that they have, and it would be easy for them to look at the Pharisee or the wealthy individual and say, there's injustice in the world. Here, here I am poor and in need and oppressed, and somebody else is making a profit. And their life seems to be luxurious. And so James is going to remind the reader this morning of, again, where their perspective should be. And maybe that's where you find yourself this morning, that you look at the world around you and you say, there's injustice. It seems like the wealthy, only the rich get richer, and, and I never have my needs met. There's a, a proverb that I think speaks to this that oftentimes as I read this proverb, I'm like, I have to remind myself of what this proverb is talking about. This is Proverbs chapter 10, verse 2. Here's what it says. Treasures of wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness delivers from death. Treasures of wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness delivers from death. Maybe you read that this morning and you're like, that's not true at all. Because it seems like the treasures of wickedness, the, again, the rich get richer, and then I just remain poor. And righteousness delivers from death. The righteous die every day. Right? There's, there's, I guarantee there's another righteous person that's going to pass away today, and tomorrow the same will be true. And so you read this proverb, and you're like, this doesn't make any sense. And again, it's a matter of perspective, because James is going to orient our eyes to the truth that righteousness ultimately will deliver from death one day. And that ill-gotten gains is another translation, treasures of wickedness. They really will profit nothing. Why? Because at the end of the day, you can't take anything with you where we're headed. From dust Man was formed, and from dust man will return. And so it is a matter of perspective this morning. So here's what I want us to do as we look at chapter 5 and finish this book. The theme of the chapter that we'll be in this morning, we'll get to the first half of it. We'll touch on the latter half as well. But the truth is that maturity in Christ, remember the whole just theme of, of this series that we've been in, Is My Faith Working?, is are we maturing in Christ? What is our faith producing? Is it working for you? And this morning, I think what we'll see is that maturity is found in patience. It's, it's not found in prosperity. And so James is going to allude to it and speak to living a patient life. <clears throat> I, I think you've probably all heard the, the saying, patience is a virtue. As I thought about that statement this week, I thought, it's really not true. For the, for the Christian, 
Because what a virtue means is that it's, a, it's an admirable quality. It's an admirable quality in your life. But I hope you understand the difference this morning between a quality and a characteristic. And, and patience being a virtue, it being a nice quality that you possess, doesn't quite get us to the place that I think James wants us to be at, where patience is a lifestyle. It's not just a virtue, but it's a lifestyle. And it's a lifestyle that comes through submission to the Holy Spirit because one of the fruits of the Spirit is patience. So there's a difference between just a quality that you exhibit and a characteristic that you possess. And the truth is, it's a characteristic you and I don't possess, but it's a characteristic we can possess through the power and work of the Holy Spirit. And so James is gonna speak to this this morning, that if we're to mature in Christ Jesus, it ultimately will come through living a patient life. And so, as we we read seven through really 12, I I hope that the theme of of patience, if you'll just listen to the language of James, how often he uses this word patient, or endurance, perseverance, it's all coming from the same root, that you'll be reminded of the call of James this morning to live a patient life. But here's also what's true that I think we, we need to just address this morning is that patience, to exhibit patience, you have to anticipate something. Does that make sense? Like, like, like you, you can't have patience for something that you're not anticipating. If there's no anticipation, there's no opportunity for patience. And so one of my concerns just in the body of Christ at large, is that we don't have a high level of anticipation for the return of Jesus Christ. I I don't think we do. And if you're honest with yourself this morning, maybe you ask yourself the question, am I anticipating the return of Jesus Christ? Look at what James says in verse 7 of chapter 4. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Here's what James is saying, that the reader in this day and age, would have been greatly anticipating the return of the Savior who was just on the earth. And as we've gotten further and further away, time-wise, from the birth, from the incarnation of Jesus Christ, I think what's happened in our day and age and in our culture is we've gotten so comfortable and familiar and used to the world that we live in that we don't find ourselves as sojourners or pilgrims in this life anymore because we've become so comfortable with the life that we have. I asked myself this question several years ago, and this was actually before I got married and had kids, but I had to ask myself the honest question that if the Lord returned tomorrow, would I be sad? If the Lord were to return tomorrow, would I be sad? And at the moment, I hadn't gotten married yet, I hadn't had kids yet, I hadn't done a lot of the things I wanted to do in life, and this this question really pressed on me because as as I thought about it honestly, I had to be honest with myself and say, I think I would be. I think I would be a little upset if the Lord returned tomorrow because I would, my response to him would be, I didn't get to do the things I wanted to do. I didn't get to engage in the things I wanted to engage in. I didn't get to enjoy children. I didn't get to grow old with a spouse. And so maybe this morning you ask yourself the question, if the Lord were to return tomorrow, how excited, how happy would you be? How joyous would you be? Or would you find yourself a little sorrowful because you didn't get to do the things that you wanted to do in this life? You see, James just assumes that his reader has a high level of anticipation for the return of Christ. He says, be patient until the coming of the Lord. And so I think the two go hand in hand, that to be patient, to mature in Christ and live a life of patience, we have to first anticipate the return of Jesus Christ. 
Because all the language he's gonna use is to be patient until his coming. And so we're patient for a lot of other things, impatient for a lot of other things in this life. But I wanna start at a place to where I find myself, I think it's a healthy place to, to be. If I become impatient for his return, then I think the word of God can press on me in regards to being patient for his return. But if you're not impatient for his return, then, then really a life lived of, uh, in patience is just helping you in relation to other people, which I think is great, but we should live in anticipation of his return. Verse seven, he says, be patient until the coming of the Lord. And so here's what I want us to do this morning. I just wanna give you two areas that I think we can be patient in, in regards to his coming. And more than anything this morning, you know, I, 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 as you leave this place, and as I was thinking about this this morning, I don't know if there's anything in particular. Sometimes, uh, you know, when we're up here, we're like, I want you to do something different in your life this week. And I think sometimes the application for the Word of God is, is less about doing something and more about remembering something and being encouraged in something. So more than anything this morning, I hope to just encourage your faith a little bit and just remind you of the hope that we have in eternity. And I hope what that does is it rots in you a level of patience as you submit to and surrender to the Holy Spirit in your life. Two areas that I think we can be patient in that James addresses. Number one is we can be patient with God's timing. We can be patient with his timing. And number two, we can be patient with his people. We can be patient with God's timing and we can be patient with God's people. Look at verse seven again. He says, be patient until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. That's the truth this morning that I hope you cling to, that the coming of the Lord is at hand, that, that, that he will return. As surely as he came the first time, he's coming again. And you think of the time that existed from the promise that was given in Genesis 3 of a Savior that ultimately would come and right every wrong that existed in the world. The time from that promise to his first birth must have seemed like forever. And so I think sometimes we get it confused in thinking we're in foreign territory where we're anticipating the coming of the Lord. They anticipated his first coming. It was thousands of years before he set foot on the earth. And so this morning, like a farmer who waits, James is gonna use this imagery. Would you Wait patiently on the coming of the Lord. He says, as a farmer waits for the early and the latter rain. I don't know how much you know about agriculture, but uh, what a farmer would do in this day and age is, is they would plant crops in the fall, and then they would wait for the early fall rain, and then they would wait for the spring rain. And then the spring rain would ultimately bring the fruit. The fall rain was used to soften the soil and bring forth uh, the, the, the buds or the sprouts. And then the spring rain would strengthen the spout and bring forth fruit. And listen to me this morning. We do the same thing at times. That what happens in our life is an early rain will come, right? Say you walk through a difficult season of your life, and then you think, man, I, I must, now I can bear fruit. Now, now I'm as patient as I'll ever be, and now I can fully anticipate the return of the Lord. I love people well. And sometimes we become so impatient with ourselves in anticipating his coming. So maybe you need to be a little patient with yourself this morning too. Maybe there are some sins in your life that you thought you'd be over by now in your life. Or there's relationships in your life that you thought you would have mended by now. Or, or, or you thought you'd be more mature in your relationship with Christ than you are now. And I would just encourage you this morning, be patient with his timing. He's doing something in you. He wants to do something through you. 
but it's going to take submission and service to the king. And maturation comes through living a life of patience with his timing. This is the farmer waits for the early and the latter rain. I found it to be true in my own life, too, that there are some sunny I think of, think of a farmer, and as he's waiting for the crop to be yielded, there are some sunny days, there are some rainy days, there are some cloudy days, and some snowy days. And this is perfect imagery for us this morning, because the same is true for us. I've experienced the rainy days. I've experienced the sunshine days. I've experienced the cloudy days and the gloomy days. But trust and believe that all days are necessary, and all days are doing something in your life. And so if you find yourself growing impatient, thinking, I, I should be here, I wish this would happen, I would just encourage you this morning, be patient. The coming of the Lord is at hand. He's coming back, and he'll restore it all, and he'll make it all right. And so we should labor well and endure with patience. Be patient with his timing. And here's the key. I think <clears throat> James gives us the key. This is in verse 8. He says, you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Establish your heart. The word there for establish, it could be translated strengthen or to support. This may be a hot take. A hot take is like a controversial statement. I don't think this is that controversial. But there's, um, I've become friends with uh, Steve Courtney. And Steve Courtney owns a CrossFit gym, and he's been trying to get me to come to this CrossFit gym for uh, weeks now, almost months. And uh, I hope he's here in the second service, because here's the truth, is that internal strength really matters more than external strength. I mean, it's, it's true, right? And so, like, at the end of the day, like, external strength is going to do you only so much, and then at the end of the day, you're going to stand before the judgment seat, and really, you're going to give an account for not only the way you lived your life, but the way you loved people, the, the way you served God. And, and so wh where that's going to come from is really what James is talking about. Establish or strengthen your heart. Establish or strengthen your heart. And so maybe you're asking the question, I don't, I don't know how to establish or strengthen my heart. Well, I'll give you one practical way you can do that is just be involved in the body of the local church. You think about it this way, that really what we do week in and week out and what we do year in and year out is just provide a space that's like a spiritual gym for you. And so this is a place that you can come, you can be encouraged, you can be strengthened, you can serve, use your gifts, you can praise the God of the ages through singing. And, and here's what's true of fruit. What's interesting, you know, thinking about the farmer analogy as well, that, that inevitably, Fruit is always produced if the variables and the inputs are right. That makes sense. Like, like as a far, there may be some, some one-off examples, but more often than not, you can rely on fruit being produced if you've got the right timing and you wait, if you provide sunlight and water, and if there's seed, and if the soil is good. If, if, if all those variables are met, then you can rest assured that fruit will be produced. And here's what I think we do sometimes. In waiting for the Lord, we sow seeds to the flesh and expect spiritual fruit. And, and, and it's impossible, right? Because the, the variables that are at play in that scenario, you're sowing bad seed or you have no true sunlight, you have no true time, you have no true watering. And so then you get impatient with yourself and with God. You say, I thought, again, I thought I'd be further along. I thought I'd be doing X, Y, or Z. And the truth of the matter is that you're sowing to the flesh, you're not sowing to the spirit. And so maybe for you this morning, as you think about a life of patience, 
you would just say, okay, well, one practical thing I can do is I can establish my heart. I can establish my heart by being with God's people, by being in his presence, by reading his word. And so that's how I would encourage you this morning. I think, I think this is the linchpin to it this morning, that, that if you'll establish your heart, if you'll be strengthened internally, if you'll sow spiritual seeds, I promise you'll reap where you sow. And so often we sow in the wrong places. And why should you establish your heart? Well, again, James reminds us, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. He's just going to, on repeat this morning, remind you of that. The judge is standing at the door. The coming of the Lord is at hand. Be patient, because the coming of the Lord is at hand. So you can trust and believe that this morning. Here's, here's how I would also encourage you, because I think sometimes as we grow impatient, we, we begin to speculate about the end times. And maybe with everything that's going on in Israel right now, you know, you're thinking about, oh, is this it? Is this, I think this is the end. Let me, and people have done that for centuries, right? People have speculated about when the end date is going to be, when the Lord is returning. And here's what I know to be true, is that if you're not careful, you'll speculate and you won't anticipate. And there's a difference between the two. That instead of speculating, we should anticipate his return and then do what's necessary now, what he's called me to do now. And that is to establish your heart, to be patient with the Lord's timing. We get strength in our hearts from his word, from his spirit, and from his people. So that leads me to the second area that we can be patient this morning. You can be patient with his people. You get strength from his people, but you can be patient with his people as well. This is verse 9. He says, do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. And again, listen to his refrain. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And then if you skip down to verse 12, <clears throat> James says, but above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. But let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. We can be patient with God's people. He says, don't grumble, don't complain against one another, be honest with one another. This idea of verse 12, um, let your yes be yes and your no be no. I don't know if you've ever met somebody who does this. They're like, I, I swear to you it's true. Like I, I, like, I swear to you. And, and what James, James isn't talking about, you know, curse words and, and whatnot, although I would encourage you not to not to curse. <clears throat> but what James is saying is that you should, you should be honest with the words that you say. Anytime somebody says, like, I swear to you it's true, automatically I think there's no way it's true. Because you're having, to, like, you're, you're, you're having to double down on what you're saying. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. People should know your words by the character that exists within you. And they can trust the validity of your words because they know what's inside of you. You've got an established heart. So it's connected here this morning. He says, don't grumble against one another either. You can be patient with God's people. God's people will let you down. I don't know if you know that, uh, but it's true. <clears throat> we'll let you down. Everyone in here will let you down. Like, give people enough time. Get close enough to people, and people will hurt you. They'll disappoint you. That's the truth of the matter. But I, I've thought about this in life, too, and I've had conversations with people who have walked through very difficult seasons relationally with people. And what I always find to be true is that great disappointment gives opportunity for great reconciliation. That, that where we're most disappointed in life, it gives opportunity for the Lord to step in and restore in a, in a magnificent way. And so another way I would just encourage you this morning is the coming of the Lord is at hand, and so you should spend time with his people. You should be here, you should be in a small group, you should serve. 
Again, because there are, this is what fascinates me about the day and age that we live in, is that there are certain roles and responsibilities that will only exist on this side of eternity. Like you, you will never, when you're in his presence forever, what a glorious and joyous day that'll be. But you will never get a chance to serve the body of Christ like you're serving it now. This is your opportunity to do that. And we have a limited number of days to do that. So James says, don't grumble. Don't complain against one another. Be patient with God's people. He's going to use two examples this morning. Just being, I think what kind of surmises this whole chapter, he's going to use the examples of the prophets and the examples of Job. And I think we see this pattern in both. This is verse 10. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endured. He says, take the example of the prophets. They spoke on behalf of the Lord and they suffered and they were patient. They patiently waited. Think of how patient they must have been with God's people, by the way. Like to speak on behalf of the Lord, repent, repent. God's calling you to repentance. And for them just to stiff arm the prophets, time in and time out. How patient they must have been. These are the Lord's people. Right? We forget that at times. These are your people, Lord. And so I'm willing to be patient with them. But then also to be patient with his timing. Think of Jonah. Think of Isaiah or Daniel. Right? Daniel, who's reading prophecy of the Old Testament. And he understands the judgment that's been on the people of Israel. And he's like, all right, Lord, 70 years. I get it. I'm praying for my people. Like, like end this thing. And the Lord's like, they haven't repented. And so it's 70 times 7. And you'll die in exile too. Just think of how heart-wrenching that must have been for him. And how they suffered and were persecuted for speaking on behalf of the Lord. Isaiah was sawn in two. Jonah swallowed by a whale. Like you, you read the language of the prophets, and I don't know that any of us in our day and age would say, hey, sign me up for that role. Like, I'm in for that. They suffered, and yet they were patient, and they endured. They were patient with God's timing, but they were also patient with God's people. He's not asking us to do anything that he hasn't asked anyone else to do. Like, you're not alone. I'm not on an island this morning. Lord, Lord, I, I want to live a life of patience, but it's so hard because no one else has ever done this before. He's like, give me a break. This has been the consistent theme throughout the course of human history. My people have always been marked by suffering, by endurance, and by patience. So he uses the prophets as an example. But then here's the example that I think fits perfectly into <clears throat> the book of James. This is the end of verse 11. He says, you've heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord. That the Lord is very compassionate and he's merciful. I wish we had time this morning to tell of the whole story of Job. And for those of you who have been in church, you know. Maybe you, you haven't been in church. Maybe you're watching online and you don't know the story of Job. Here's the truth of Job. Job is a righteous man, blameless in the sight of the Lord. Don't forget that truth this morning, too, that sometimes your righteousness qualifies you for the suffering. And so we, we, we talked about that in James chapter 1, that we get this idea that the suffering of life is punitive. And the Lord does discipline and chasten those he loves. But sometimes there's something bigger at play that you'll never see in this life or understand in this life. 
Job's righteousness qualified him for the suffering. The Lord said to Satan, he said, have you considered my servant Job? And Job then proceeds to lose everything. He lost his family. He lost his health and wealth. He lost his livestock, the goods and the riches of life. He lost it all. The scripture says that at no point in time did Job sin. This is Job 1, uh, verse 22. And here's what uh, it says. It says, in all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Let me encourage you just with the life of Job this morning as it relates to the book of James. Suffering is normal. You can be patient in the midst of your trials and tribulations, knowing back to chapter one that the testing of your faith produces patience or perseverance. And patience or perseverance can have its perfect work, that you'll be complete, lacking nothing. But it'll take patience in the midst of the suffering. Now, Job wasn't perfect. Like You think Job was just like, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and thank you, Lord, for the difficult seasons that I'm walking through, and I praise you in this storm, and I know you're working all things together for my good. Like you think, like that wasn't the language of Job. You read the book of Job, and he, he questioned his past. He lamented his past. He was like, Lord, you've taken it all from me. Why'd you do all this? He questioned his present. Lord, what am I to do now? I don't have anything. Why'd you do this to me? And he questioned his future. But in all of it, he never questioned the character of God. And I hope the same is true for you this morning because what James says, says, and you've seen the end intended by the Lord. What was the end? That the Lord is very compassionate and he's merciful. This is straight out of Exodus 34. We talked about in chapter one, the character and the nature of God is never changing. He's ever faithful. He's compassionate. He's merciful. He's long-suffering. And Job found that out at the end of all things. And Job had all things restored to him, which I think is a picture that coming one day, you will have it all restored to you. And it'll all make sense. And it may not ever be on this side of eternity, but he will right every wrong. He will wipe away every tear. There will be no more pain or suffering. One day it is coming to an end. And in the meantime, my encouragement to you this morning is to be patient and endure. But it wasn't just Job. You you look back at the course of the Bible, and I think about the characters that we see in the Bible, that that Eve was promised the Messiah back in Genesis and never got a chance to see that come to fruition. Noah was named rest, knowing something of the rest that was coming from a Christ, and he never got to see that rest be fulfilled. Abraham, promise given to Abraham, I will bless you, be a father of many nations. And he never saw the completion of that promise. Moses never entered the promised land. And, and here's where I think we find encouragement this morning is if you're familiar with the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, we, we call it the Faith Hall of Fame. It's the Faith Hall of Fame. And, and here's where Hebrews 11 ends. It goes through the list of the, the heroes of the faith. And then it transitions at the end of verse 35 of chapter 11. Here's what the writer says. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings, 
They were chained and imprisoned. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains, in dens and in caves of the earth. And all of these, having obtained a good testimony through their faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. You have all these characters who endured and were patient and never got to see the fulfillment of the promise of God. And then the writer is going to transition in chapter 12, and he says, therefore, we also, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and let us run with endurance the race that's before us. You and I can endure this morning. We can be patient in the midst of hardship, of the pains and the trials of life. Patient with his timing. Trust and believe that he's working it. He's working it. You may not see it, but he's working it together. You can be patient with his people in the midst of it. I'm going to invite the team back up. As we close this book together this morning, I think this is a fitting end to the book of James. That after he's addressed suffering and the pain of life, talked about our motivation in chapter two, talked about our speech in chapter three, about being humble in chapter four, and then he just bookends the whole thing with the coming of the Lord is at hand. And this is a truth that you and I need to cling to desperately, that just as sure as he came the first time, he's coming a second time. Don't ever lose sight of that. And so maybe you would find yourself in the position this morning where you would just desire an anticipation of the coming king. You would ask the Lord to rot that within you. Lord, Lord, I want to experience a level of impatience for your coming so that I can experience patience that you're talking about in James chapter 5. He's coming back. And I was thinking about this this week. I think like a car runs on gas, our endurance runs on patience. Does that make sense? Like, Like patience is the gas that fuels endurance. And so sometimes you'll look at your life and say, yeah, I want to endure, but I don't know how to endure. I would point to patience. Let patience have its perfect work. And so this morning, maybe, <clears throat> maybe you're far from Christ. Maybe you have, you have no idea who this Jesus person is. And my encouragement to you would be, this is the pattern of Jesus. All, all, all I'm saying this morning is what the greatest commandment was, to love God and to love people, to be patient with his timing and to be patient with his people. Love God and love people. Jesus did the same. Jesus comes onto the scene. He's patient with God's timing. Not your will, not my will, but your will be done, Father. He submitted and surrendered to the will of the Father. And then he was patient with the people of God, was he not? More patient than I would have been. And he lived a life exemplified by patience. Then he went to the cross for you and for me. He died the death we should have died, shed his blood on Calvary. And one day he's returning and he'll take us home to be with him forever. And so if you haven't placed your faith in him this morning, watching online, I would encourage you, surrender your life to him. Let him make sense of the mess. Let him make sense of the chaos and know full well that he has a purpose and a plan for your life. But maybe you're a believer this morning and my challenge to you would be to trust and believe in not only the gospel of Jesus Christ, but in the good news of his return. I think sometimes we, we proclaim to believe in the gospel, but we don't live like we believe the gospel. 
Because if we believed it, it would, it would radically change the way you and I behave. And that we could walk this life with humility. We could walk this life saying things that are helpful and consistent to his nature and his character, to those who need to be encouraged. And we would walk this life with a level of patience and endurance, longing for the coming of the king when one day he'll make it all right. And so again, this morning, I, I, I don't know, maybe there's something for you that you can take away and you can say, hey, I can apply this to my life. But maybe for you this morning, it's just an encouragement. Hold out hope. Don't lose faith. The king is coming back. And all the chaos and the turmoil and the injustice of life will be settled and made right and will be in glory forever. This life is but a vapor in the wind. And so where are you going to place your hope? Where where, where are you going to stake your claim? Is it in this life or is it in the life to come? So I hope more than anything as we conclude this book that you'll suffer well, that you'll be motivated by his grace, that your speech will be consistent with his character and helpful to others, that you'll live a life of humility and that you'll anticipate and long for the coming of the Lord and you'll live a life of patience. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this book and and just thank you for this study and um, just all the great things that you've given and and done for us and, and how you've spoken and, and worked and moved. And so um, I just pray that you would just continue to work in our lives, work in our church, uh, remind us of who you are and, and the great things that you have for us. And I pray that in, in the midst of our waiting, would we be found well-doing, that we would love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that we would love your people well. Lord, thank you for your imminent return. And, and Lord, I, as I often do, Lord, I just echo the prayer of call of Paul, Maranatha, Lord, come quickly, Lord Jesus, and take us home. Lord, we're tired, we're weary. I pray that you would come quickly. So we love you this morning, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.